Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. taconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Happy holidays to our listeners. We're recording this Christmas week and appreciate your taking the time to listen in during this busy time of the year. I'm Chris Chimes. And I'm Ben Baldanza. We've had a great year with our listeners and with our guests. We appreciate your questions and suggestions as well. And we've had a good time building out the podcast. Yeah, Ben, we're going to talk more about that next week along with a special guest. But uh, for now, let's cover off some news. And uh, we'll start with the airline rodeo up on Capitol Hill last week. A delegation of airline executives testified before the Senate Commerce Committee. It was an appropriate uh, time for the industry to be held accountable after receiving more than $50 billion of federal aid over the past 18 months. But Ben, what was your reaction to the hearing and the media coverage? Well, I agree with you, Chris, that it was fair to have the hearing, and it was interesting the people that were there, the you know CEOs from some of the biggest airlines, as well as Sarah Nelson from the head of the flight attendants, and you know the news was kind of mixed. Obviously, from one side, it was these guys all got all this money to pay people, and then they had all these cancellations saying they didn't have enough people, so what's up? And then from the other side, it was, well, we really need this industry to be vibrant and they used the money well and demand came back much faster. So why are you blaming them? And you heard things from both sides of those. I thought the most interesting thing of the whole event was all the discussion around masks which wasn't the idea of the hearing. The idea of the hearing was, well, we gave you a lot of money. Why'd you cancel flights for not having enough people? Or is that why you canceled? So overall, I thought it was a real interesting hearing. Yeah. I mean, the danger of these hearings is always there's going to be some showboats among the members of the House and the Senate who want to perform for the cameras. And I say that having staffed a member of Congress and been an eyewitness to this. So I'm not being critical. It's just a reality of what happens at these hearings. And so sometimes I think it got off track a bit. But, you know, as you and I both acknowledge, it was an appropriate cause for a hearing. Um, The industry received a lot of federal support. And there are questions about what do they do with the money, the service issues. But it was unfortunate a couple of times it got off track. But I thought in general, the executives handled themselves very well. Uh, Scott Kirby in particular, I think, you know, stood his ground when he was being criticized about the United vaccine mandate. Again, you can argue all sides of the vaccines, but at the end of the day, United has a right to manage the company how they wish to. And um, so I, I thought Scott did a very good job defending that. I agree with you. He's been pretty strong on that issue from the beginning. And He even has gone on TV a couple of times and was asked, 
you know, for other companies thinking of doing this, what do you suggest? And he said, well, just do it because it's probably the right thing to do. So it didn't surprise me that he held his ground well. And I agree with you. He held his ground, but was very polite at the same time. And then, of course, there was lots of controversy, like you said, about the mask mandate and Southwest CEO Gary Kelly's response about, you know, I think what he was trying to say was the air is purified multiple times per hour, in fact, almost per minute, and an aircraft cabin is a very safe place with regard to air quality. He kind of left some words on the table that then were interpreted as, and so I don't support the mask mandate. Both he and Doug Parker from American had to walk that back. And then, of course, Gary tested positive for COVID a couple of days later. So it wasn't all the most elegant thing, and it shouldn't have become a mask mandate discussion. But unfortunately, that kind of dominated some of the news. I agree. And I think people are conflating some of the things with Gary Kelly, actually, because he specifically was saying that masks might be redundant on board because of the good airflow on airplanes. And then when he was tested positive for COVID afterwards, a lot of the media was Southwest CEO says masks aren't needed and then gets COVID, which is really not exactly what happened. He said on airplanes, they may be redundant. He didn't say in any other part of life. And he, of course, you know, may have gotten COVID on the airplane, but he was certainly wearing a mask on his flight to Washington. So it seems more likely since they said he was tested negative before he left, that he either had a false positive or more likely maybe contracted the virus or caught the virus, you know, in the many hours that he was unmasked during the hearing. I agree. I mean, I watched that tape uh, three times to make sure I understood what was said. Again, I didn't I didn't think he was advocating for not wearing masks as much as trying to defend cabin air quality. Uh, maybe I got it wrong, and maybe he was saying, you know, it might be redundant, but he wasn't advocating for lifting the mask mandate. They had... Uh, they had been requiring masks way before the federal government did. So if you kind of look at the history of all this. So. Anyway, it's part of the theatrics of Capitol Hill. And um, I, I give the airline execs a, a, an overall good grade for how they, how they did up there. But people are going to make news about it one way or another. I agree. Absolutely. Ben, on another matter that was illuminated in the Senate hearing, the pilot shortage and service to small communities was under the spotlight in a way that had not really been fully articulated before. I was personally immediately drawn to Scott Kirby's comments that United's regional partners have 100 aircraft grounded due to the lack of trained pilots. Where do you think this is headed? I think this is a real interesting issue because you're right. United and all of the three biggest airlines in the U.S. rely heavily on regional partners. And while they fly under the names of the big airlines or United Express, right, or Delta Connection or things like that, they are their own separate companies with their own pilot workforces, their own training, and their own certificates and things. So United's labor issues in some ways are independent of the regional issues, and yet they count on the regionals to carry customers for them on their airplanes. And so when the regionals are struggling, the airline also struggles in terms of completion and being able to make flights happen. 
This is a very complicated issue, Chris, because as you know, and many of our listeners know, a number of years ago, the rules were changed about how many hours were required to become a pilot for the regional aircraft. And it used to be for 250 hours, you could get hired in the right seat of a regional. You would fly next to a seasoned captain for a number of years and then need many more hours before you moved into a captain. A few years after the terrible crash of Colgan Airways up in Buffalo, those rules were changed to where you need 1,500 hours to be hired. And the combination of that rule did two things. It made the big airlines need more pilots, so they pulled more up from the regionals. At the exact time, it made it much harder for the regionals to hire because they had this much higher threshold. So I think the regionals have been in a position where they've always, since this rule change, have found it a little harder to get pilots. In fact, uh, when Republic filed for bankruptcy a number of years ago, they specifically referenced that lack of pilots was the reason they had to do that. And they focused back on that change of rules. So the reason I went into all that background, since that really wasn't the discussion here, when Scott Kirby mentioned that the regionals have a lot grounded, is I think where this is headed is a couple of things. I think it's What is the role that the big airlines have in ensuring that their regionals are also staffed well if the big guys are getting money? Do they owe some of that training? Do they owe some of those monies to the regionals? And then the second thing is, will this further what is already an ongoing effort to maybe rethink those rules of what is necessary in terms of hours to be hired into the regionals? Yeah, I agree on on all those things. It seems like we're agreeing with each other back and forth here. But, um, you know, again, what struck me was the frankness of saying what up until now, it seems like people have been kind of dancing around. I mean, people have talked about the challenges, but to quantify how many aircraft were not in service that could be supporting their network must have been somewhat liberating in putting that number out there, but I think it's important to manage expectations too. It's not going to get better quickly. And as United or any other major carrier with regional feet has to make decisions about where to serve, they need to be able to move quickly and um, not hide from the fact that they're managing against uh, uh, something that they can't control the short term. So um, I think this is going to impact service to small communities for a while and Everyone needs to understand that. That may be an emerging issue as we head into 2022 for sure. Well, we want to remind our listeners that TA Connections is a leader in crew logistics management. TA Connections procures over 30 million room nights annually on behalf of their clients and makes travel management easier and less expensive with AI-powered booking applications, solutions, and negotiated rate programs. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company and the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. And Pratt & Whitney's GTF engines are redefining aviation with up to 20% lower fuel burn, 50% fewer regulated emissions, and 75% smaller noise footprint. GTF engines have no comparison. 
This revolutionary geared turbofan engine is allowing airlines and airports to open new routes and fly more people farther with less fuel and much lower noise. Learn more at pwgtf.com. So, Professor Baldanza, over the past month, there has been a flurry of international route and expansion news. Icelandic startup Play announced routes to Boston and BWI, Finnair from Helsinki to Seattle and DFW, BA from London Heathrow to Portland, Oregon, and American from New York to Doha, Lufthansa to St. Louis, as well as Rio and San Diego, yada, yada. Of course, all that planned before the Omicron variant caught fire. So, Ben, do you see a slowdown of this news? Will there be more international routes coming? Specifically, uh, where do you think this is going? I think we're going to see a slowdown on the international starts. And I think some of the many startups that you just announced here, since most of those are 2022 startups, may come on time since some of them aren't until the summer. But it's possible some of those may be pushed back as well. The world is still clearly learning what Omicron means in terms of both hospital stays and just cases and things like that. And while bookings for the industry have looked really strong for the December holidays based on a number of TV reports from industry executives going on and saying that, it's um, it's clear that Omicron is putting sort of a darker cloud over what does this mean for early 2022 at least. And no place is that affected more than long-haul international flying. So while it has been encouraging to see all these ads, interestingly, virtually all of them from international carriers into the U.S. as opposed to U.S. carriers out. I think that all of that was sort of based on, well, 2022 is going to be a big year of recovery, which it may still be, but I don't think we can say that for sure yet because of Omicron. So Ben, that's a nice segue to my next question I was going to ask you about, which was, while Delta CEO Ed Bastian wasn't at the U.S. Senate hearing, he was making news other ways, including a CNBC appearance, where he predicted that Delta would be one of the few U.S. airlines to be profitable in this quarter. We're about to close in a few few weeks. As the industry wraps up the year, what are you ready to begin to guess about quarterly and annual reports we'll be seeing in January? Well, I saw that report on CNBC that Ed Bastian did as well, and I was surprised that he talked about, you know, a $200 million kind of profit potentially in the fourth quarter. Maybe they'll have to dial that back a bit if the last few weeks are a little weaker because of Omicron, but I'm not sure if they'll have to. I'm guessing we're going to look at another year and quarter that uh, are disappointing for the industry. People will look for positive news in the quarter in terms of trends, that the fourth quarter 2021 better than 2020, that you know a strong summer of leisure continued with strong Thanksgiving demand and likely strong end of December demand. But for the year, the industry is going to look as in total at big losses for the year, even Delta, even if they're profitable in the fourth quarter, as their CEO said, you know, is likely to post a pretty big loss for the full year. And so it's going to be another really disappointing year for the industry profit-wise, although industry grandstanders, which I'd put you and I in that 
list actually <laughs> would probably say, but there's some, you know, there's some sunlight around the edge of that cloud in terms of demand does seem to be stronger in the leisure side. And in some ways, the way the media is talking about Omicron is that it may also be showing that it may show that the virus is starting to peter out a bit because as it mutates, it's becoming a little weaker. I'm not a scientist, so I don't know if that's true, but I've heard some doctors on TV saying that. And so I think there's reasons to believe 2022 is going to be better than 2021, but I still think that the industry is not going to be ready for a full recovery in 2022 either. Yeah, I'm torn on this with regard to like the upsides and downsides of trying to make predictions or projections about what any one airline is going to report. You know, obviously the Delta folks have great insight to their own data, so I'm not questioning that. But this is really a long game right now, and so I'm not sure signaling what we think is going to happen for this quarter really matters. Uh, you know, there's probably just a an effort to give investors and the market some assurance that things are holding their own with bookings through the end of the year. So I get all that, but I just, I don't know, since we can't control the outcome from week to week, I I don't know how beneficial it is to make projections, but I don't work for an airline and I don't work in investor relations right now. So I guess it doesn't matter what I think. (laughs) Well, but I think you're smart. And going back to Scott Kirby, he said as much a month or two ago when he said, we're just going to stop predicting. What we're going to do is try to remain flexible so that we can react quickly, whatever the news is. If that news is things look good and demand is coming back quickly, we'll be ready to load more capacity quickly. And if that news is is poor and we're looking at uh, having a pullback flights, we'll have the flexibility to do that. And that seemed like one of the most pragmatic things I've heard in a while is we can't predict. People didn't predict Delta, Delta the variant, I mean, <laughs> people didn't predict Omicron. And, you know, whether the next one is, I don't know, Theta or whatever, whatever the next Greek letter is, you would know better than me. Although I don't think Omicron was right in order either. Um, (laughs) And so I think that uh, the best thing for the industry is just stay flexible. I think that's right. Well, we'll be right back with listener questions and finer wine. But first, we want to thank Seabury Capital Group, the specialty finance and investment banking firm, boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, and financial services and technologies. Seabury Capital Group's widely respected team has superior industry knowledge and an unmatched depth of relationships with decision makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. Promotional support for Airlines Confidential comes from thearchive.net the hub of the history of commercial aviation with vintage timetables, route maps, brochures, historic flights, terminals, airplane cabins, virtual tours of airline maintenance and training facilities, models, safety cards, and menus, plus special flights and events. The archive.net is now boarding. So our mailbag isn't as full as Santa's right now, but we continue to get great questions and comments, and we appreciate your listener engagement. 
Remember, you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts to send us a note. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential podcast. Ben, uh, first up, we got a comment about our discussion a couple of weeks ago in response to the question of a listener asking, why do Southwest pilots taxi faster than the others? Stephen writes, Southwest pilots get paid by the leg, short, medium, and long. Everyone else gets paid by the hour. They get to the hotel faster by taxing faster. The rest of us tax slower to be safe or we're over block time and just want to get paid more. This is also why Southwest has a history of forcing a landing that should have been a go-around and parking off the departure into the runway, like at Burbank or Midway. But other than that, I love the show. I thought Stephen's comment was very interesting. You know, I don't want to believe, and I don't think that most pilots think about how they're getting paid for that trip when they're flying a flight. Certainly if a Southwest pilot sees a situation where a go around would be the safest thing to do, I can't imagine that they decide I'm going to try to land anyway because I'm not going to get paid anymore if I do the go around. That to me is quite cynical, actually. Stephen's right in that Southwest pilots do get paid differently than the rest of the industry. But again, I don't think that most pilots in the industry, when they get in and they strap in and they're, and they're doing a flight, think about what is my pay for this exact flight and can I optimize that by taxiing faster or flying slower or missing a go around or something like that. I think when they're in that mode and they're in that zone, they just want to fly a safe flight. I think that's a fair response. So uh, let's leave it at that. Stephen, we appreciate your writing, and I'm sure that there's lots of discussion up in the cockpit about uh, how other airlines operate, and we're, we appreciate you bringing it to our attention. And Chris, Mike from Grapevine, Texas, did not like your comments about the BWI bathroom enhancements. He wrote us, Chris's overt mockery of BWI's investment in bathrooms dismisses an integral and often overlooked component of the passenger experience. Far too many airport restrooms are undersized, completely unprepared to accept a 175-passenger airline whose passengers may want to use the facility before boarding and immediately after deplaning. Stalls at most airports are built without thought to things like doors that swing open outwards, allowing people to bring their baggage inside, or privacy dividers between urinals. Planners failed to consider the dawn of the smartphone and how that impacted the amount of time users spend in a stall, avoiding the spouse and kids for 15 minutes of peace and YouTube videos before a flight, but also clogging up that sparse resource. I, for one, am appreciative of BWI Airport for finally considering restrooms 
because the new ones at the end of the A terminal are a breath of fresh air, pun intended, when compared to the restrooms elsewhere in the airport. Just as you can't build too many Starbucks in a terminal to avoid a line at every single one, so it goes with bathrooms. Plan the size of your bathroom based on the old formulas, then double or triple it to accommodate for the potty surfers. And for God's sake, stall doors need to open outwards. Cheers and happy holidays. P.S. Chris, I know you're from Texas. Go to Bucky's bathroom and tell me that doesn't bring a tear to your eye. <laughs> Mike, I'm really sorry if I offended you. Truth is, I grew up in a household where every time we went to a, a new restaurant, my mother would make one of the kids go in and check out the bathroom because if the bathroom was clean, then the kitchen was clean and we could eat there. So I have a lifelong appreciation for clean bathrooms. Uh, my mother carried... Uh, toilet seat covers in her purse to give us when we went into a strange bathroom. So I promise you, I appreciate bathrooms. When Jordan and I had a little pre-interview to talk about what we might want to cover in the podcast, he raised the bathrooms. I said, that's great. We, we, we should talk about that. So if my sarcasm suggested something else, I apologize. That wasn't my intent. Um, I think this, these are really important. I've over the years gotten actually into some debates with our operations people when I was at airlines saying, why can't we keep the bathrooms cleaner? That that matters. People notice when it's messy. So in any event, I take back any sarcasm that I might have conveyed. I'm a big fan of Bucky's. We stop there on every road trip. So I get you. Uh, what BWI is doing is a good thing. And that's why we wanted to talk about it. And I take back any sarcasm if it suggested otherwise. That's a nice response, Chris. Now, does Bucky's like the BWI new bathrooms have <laughs> lights over the stalls to show red or green whether they're occupied? I don't think that they have lights, but they're spotless clean, and you know, people come from all over to make their pit stop at Bucky's. They're a Texas tradition, so um, kind of like Sheets in the Northeast and Wawa's, but Bucky's is a world into itself. Think of think of like a rest stop the size of Walmart with. 80 or 90 gas pumps and anything you could possibly want uh, in the, in the store. So, and clean bathrooms. And then Ben, we have another listener from the DFW area. Andrew has a follow-up about the ship go baggage service we discussed. Um, I'll try to edit this for brevity, but it's an, he makes some interesting points. Dear Chris and Ben, I want to follow up on the discussion around this week's listener question on shipping luggage with ShipGo. I recently discovered these services and found them quite an enticing option. For my future travel plans, there are a number of other players in addition to ShipGo, such as Luggage Concierge, which focuses on cruise-related flights, Luggage Free, and Luggage Forward. I'd like to suggest an alternative point of view to the one you discussed and a reason why these services might become an important part of the travel market. Simply speaking, in addition to the convenience of shipping bags from door to door, there really are some serious financial benefits from using these services, which you did not consider, even if it's costing $50 to $70 per bag to use these services. Firstly is the ability to use unbundled airlines, primarily LCCs, more effectively. These airlines have great base fares, but with high baggage fees. They not only charge for bags, they have also reduced the weight limit per bag. Even full-service airlines have started in strictly enforcing their 23-kilogram rule for economy passengers. Long gone are the days of 32-kilogram bags unless you travel first class. Secondly, avoiding additional transportation costs to and from the airport. 
My wife is not the lightest packer, and if we use Uber, this means we always have to upgrade to a larger vehicle class at a premium between 25 and 40% more. Thirdly, all airlines, including full-service ones, are now recognizing the ancillary bonanza possible from baggage fees. American, for example, charges $150 for a third and $200 for a fourth bag. Ben? Well, those are good points. But if you remember, my comment about these services wasn't that maybe they provide something that people need, but they seemed kind of expensive to me, at least ship go, compared to just putting all your items in a cardboard box and sending it UPS or FedEx, since it was like $69 for one bag. And so I like all the ideas that were discussed here by Andrew, and I think he's right. One thing he misses, though, if everybody took his view and everybody started shipping their bags ahead because of these services, then what's going to happen is everybody's fares are going to go up, too, because airlines use these ancillary charges to subsidize against the base fare, and they know they're going to get paid for the bags or the seat assignments and such. And if people stopped buying those, they would still need to get that revenue someplace, and where would they get it from the base fare? So use these services when they make sense for you. If everybody uses them, count on your fares going up to cover for the loss from the airline. So I'll give you the point about uh, the impact of fares, but I don't know. A lot of people, my wife wouldn't put a bunch of things in a cardboard box and ship at UPS. So I think the issue is going to be what can these freight forwarders, I'll call them that, or, or luggage forwarders, how do they guarantee uh, the safety of the bag, the delivery, and the on-time performance? I think people are going to want to see more data to get a good understanding of how they deliver on time. Um, because ultimately, you're you're shipping the bag to make sure it's there when you get there, and they're not working with carriers to put them on on an as-available basis, but guaranteeing a spot on an aircraft to get it there for the golf game Tuesday morning at an eight o'clock tea time. So how reliable are they? I think is going to be critical. And, and as we talked about uh, in the last discussion, how do they get in front of consumers so more customers are aware of the service? I think it offers a very competitive cost compared to extra check bags or like Andrew said, a, a Uber XL instead of a sedan, but how reliable are the services and how many people know about them? That's a very good point, Chris. Maybe we'll see an airline actually partner with one of these services. It would save them, you know, the risk of losing the bag or maybe having to hire as many people to move the bags or risk not connecting a bag or something. So it's at least possible the airlines may say, you know, join them rather than try to beat them and actually do an alliance in a sense with one of them. Say, hey, we can take the bag for you at this cost, or we recommend you use this service, and maybe the airline could take a commission off that and learn how to make money from it either way. Yeah, no, who like who pays the claim on the damaged skis or golf clubs, for example? So if airlines didn't have to pay those claims and process those claims, I think they'd probably be very happy with that kind of result. I think that's right. 
Well, Chris, we're on descent and approach, so let's take time to thank CLEAR, which makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of CLEAR, and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use CLEAR's home-to-gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, CLEAR's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with CLEAR. Chris, you can take this finer wine. It's from Gerald in Midland, Texas. I never check bags when I fly because I take short trips and hate waiting in the baggage claim areas. Why won't Southwest give me a discount for not checking bags since I don't cost them anything for that? I've never flown Spirit since they don't fly to Midland, but it seems the policy of offering a lower fare for no bags makes sense. It's never cheap to fly to Dallas anymore either. So Ben, you might have a different opinion on this. I think this is a wine in that that's just not what Southwest offers their guests or their customers. You know, does he want a few dollars back if he doesn't take the pretzels and soda on board? That's complimentary. Um, I realize Spirit and other carriers might have fears that incense you not to check a bag and give you a lower price, but that's not in the Southwest offering. So it's a wine in the context of how does Southwest provide that if it's just not part of their world? It works for some carriers and how they set up fares, but that's not what Southwest is trying to do. So, and so unfortunately, Gerald, this is a wine. I agree it's a wine because whether you like or hate Southwest, they're extremely transparent about what they do. So you know what you're buying. The other thing I'd say is that Midland's a very nice place. I've been there, but it's a smaller place. And so Midland doesn't have the breadth of service options that a bigger city like Dallas or Houston in Texas have. And so you know, if you don't fly Southwest, you can fly American from Midland and Delta from Midland. But who knows if the fares are going to be the same and they may have different kinds of rules with things. And so there's pluses and minuses to living every place, right? And Midland, you get different options than if you live in someplace else. But Southwest, like you said, is very transparent with what they do. So this is a wine, although I agree with him that if Southwest offered sort of their own version of basic economy where maybe you didn't get a check bag, even though that's against their ethos. Um, there are some people who might like them more if they did that. Yeah. And they've been hinting at rolling out a new fair category. I don't think it's going to be what Gerald's suggesting, but maybe by the time we go to air, it will have been announced, but they've been hinting about that for the last week or so. That's a wrap for our Christmas week show. Uh, my shout out uh, as we close is actually to our listeners whether you're flying during the holiday for your job with an airline, for your work, for your business, or for personal reasons, I hope it's safe and enjoyable. And I also want to wish you happy holidays. That's a great shout out. I echo that as well, Chris. My shout out goes to something we talked about early in the podcast, but was in a big list of things. And it's specifically to the city of St. Louis, which is getting their first European nonstop trip in almost 20 years with the addition of the Lufthansa three times a week flight from Frankfurt to St. Louis. So St. Louis is a somewhat underappreciated city in the U.S., I think, a beautiful place with great people. And I think it's great that they're getting a nonstop into Europe again after a really long time. 
I agree. And with that, we'll say goodbye and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to everyone. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone. Stay safe. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.